How many of you know that we all need a champion in our life? We need someone who's there to cheerlead for us, to encourage us, to correct us, to guide us, to lead us. We need those people in our life. We all do. And we are so honored and lucky today and blessed um, to have someone who champions Pastor Byron, our pastor, every step of the way for years now. And not only Pastor Byron personally, but also our church. Our guest speaker today, he is a champion of Redemption Church and what God is doing in this house. And so if you would, hey, with me, would you give a big, warm redemption welcome to Pastor Mike Santiago. Hey, everybody. My dad, my dad sold fireworks as a kid. He was like the regional manager of like all the tents that you see in like the Walmart parking lots. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys have those fireworks legal around here? Like little TNT stands inside every Food Lion or Piggly Wiggly or HEB. You know, my dad was in charge of managing all the fireworks tents. He was the regional manager of every firework that was sold in Florida so I was assistant to the regional manager when I was like nine or 10 years old. And we would go to every food lion, every HEB, every Walmart. And we were just in charge of like quality control. We were QC. And uh, he would say if somebody had poked their finger through the plastic and like stolen a couple out of the, you know, the package that you get, we got to keep those. Yeah. If one had fallen off the truck and gotten damaged in transport, we got to keep that. As you can imagine, through the three weeks leading up to 4th of July, the three weeks leading up to New Year's Eve, uh, we, we were really free people. 4th of July, 5th of July, we celebrated the 6th of July. We started celebrating things that don't even require fireworks. Like we had Memorial Day fireworks. We had Veterans Day fireworks. We had Cinco de Mayo fireworks. Man, Thanksgiving, we were like, let's do some fireworks, you know. <laughs> that's, the kind of, that's the amount of fireworks that we had. We were, like, celebrating everything. And uh, my neighbors, you know, they, my friends would come over in the neighborhood. I would open up the garage door. It would be like the Shekinah glory. If you don't know what that is, it's like a, a, a big light, you know, would shine out of the garage. It was like, oh. It's like, where did you get all these fireworks, man? I mean, it was stacked to the ceiling. As you can imagine, like, over time, the whole state of Florida, any damaged product was in our garage. And I would just kind of shrug my shoulders when my neighbors would come over. I would be like, yeah, whatever. Because what was novel to them had become normal to me. And if we're not careful, we get into an environment like this one that's so good. It's so special under leaders like Pastor Byron and Ashley. And we kind of get used to the fireworks because it's what we have regular access to. But I just came to remind you that there are people praying for a church like this. There are people in towns all across America wishing that there were pastors like Pastor Byron and Ashley. There are people that wish they could get an atmosphere like this for their family to get into every single week. And so as a messenger of the Lord from North Carolina, I just wanted to remind you to not get used to this, to not get so accustomed to it that it doesn't become special and honoring. Can we just clap our hands and thank God for what he's doing at this church and how special it is? Every chance you get to thank your pastor, do so. Every chance you get to thank the team, do so, because your dad sells fireworks and it's not normal. Um, my name is Mike. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I planted a church 10 years ago in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was 24 years old. My wife and I were both 24 years old, so our frontal cortex hadn't fully been developed, meaning we, we were, our decision-making skills weren't on point. Just yet, we were still figuring things out. And we, by faith, we, we launched out to a town that we had never lived in before. Found a lady that wouldn't do a credit check. Come on, somebody. She's like, first and last. I'm like, no security? She's like, no security. I'm like, no credit check? She's like, no credit check. I'm like, here, take my money. And that's how we decided where to plant the church. The first person that would take our uh, credit check. And 
I got a job at Panera Bread. Do you guys have Panera Bread around here? I got a job at Panera Bread. I was making $7.25 an hour 10 years ago. And uh, just making ends meet, things were really tight. As you can imagine, three kids, all in diapers, the, the head of the household making $7.25 an hour. This is before, like, all the employment rules changed. Like, this is 10 years ago, right, $7.25. Nowadays, it's crazy what you can get for working at Panera. But back then, it was $7.25 an hour. And things were so tight financially. This is just 10 years ago. I would ask my manager to not throw away the leftover bagels, I would say, don't throw them into the dumpster. Would you mind just leaving that bag next to the dumpster so that I wouldn't have to jump into the dumpster? I was like, I, I'll do it if I have to, but I'd rather not have trash juice, you know, on my shoes. So he would leave the bag next to the dumpster, and we only had one vehicle at the time, so I would leave the vehicle with my wife in case anything happened. She could take the kids wherever they needed to go, and I would walk home with a trash bag full of leftover bagels. And we had bagels for breakfast. We had bagels for lunch. We had bagels for for dinner. And we started calling it different things, even though it was the same thing. I was like, these are pizza bagels. That's the same thing as a bagel. You know, these are breakfast bagels. It's the same bagel as the lunch was. They were like, these are bagel sandwiches. And so I don't ever want to eat another bagel for the rest of my life. And what I would do at Panera is I would look for people who were praying over their food. I don't know who they were praying to or what they were praying for. It's like, I don't even know if you're a Christian or not. I don't care who you're praying to. You should come to my, my house. I have a Bible study on Sunday nights. You know, we started in our living room. There was like seven people in our living room, and we just gave it all we had. We just sacrificed as much as we could, and we gathered as many people as possible. So many people that the, the cops got called because we took up too many of the assigned parking spots for the other apartment, you know, people. They were like, hey, dude, this guy, he's got a church happening inside apartment 129A, and he's taking a ball of our parking spots. So then we went to the Holiday Inn Express. We were like the people of God in the wilderness in the Old Testament. They were just wandering around. We were like the Holiday Inn Express, the Middle Creek High School, the Halley Cultural Arts Center, McGregor Downs Country Club. We met at Potter's Hand Bible, Bible Church on Saturday nights at one point. We were everywhere. And now to God be the glory, 10 years later, we're one church in three locations. And right now, while I'm preaching here, they have six services happening right now, which is pretty crazy. And... I don't say that to brag or to boast, but I say that that because I can see the same spirit on your pastor and on this church. And if if you don't like a a small church, I mean, if you don't like a big church or a growing church, uh, you're probably not going to like heaven, number one. And you're probably not going to like this place because four services is crazy, y'all. It's dumb, all right? I I told Pastor Byron, you're going to have to pay me more if I'm going to do four, okay? Uh, You're going to have to put more in the offering because that's a lot of work, man. That'll, That'll kill you. You know, so you need to pray for your pastor and also, you know, give to the multiply campaign because we got we to gotta get some more seats up in this building so that we can reach more people for Jesus. And uh, it's an honor to be here today. Uh, I feel like I'm at home. Like this venue just reminds me of like I used to be in a band. Even like the people in this church remind me of people who I was in. The, like the amount of the, the, the size of the holes in people's ears around here. Come on, man. I'm like, dude, I used to play. I used to gig with you. I, we used to go on tour together, you know. I even think they have a picture of when I used to play bass guitar. I played bass guitar for a, a band called the Eighth Hour Romance. That was me. Yeah, I never gauged my ears, but I was with you guys. I just feel like I, I, I feel right at home with this group, you know. I look around this church, and, and we were with some leaders last night. And I'm like, man, yeah, these are my people. I could preach to these people. Like, I might look put together now, but that's the real, I, I, I didn't know where I was coming. I, would, I only brought one outfit, so I would have dressed, like, I would have been the rock star too. I just didn't know where I was. Nobody told me that y'all were the emo kids from the 90s, because I would have been. You say, don't. So, uh, anyways, Romans chapter 8. Are you ready for God's word? I love preaching. In case you're wondering, it's my favorite thing to do outside of like be with my family, all the regular stuff that people say. Preaching is my favorite thing to do. And uh, I, hope, I hope you can receive from God's word today. I love this church because I don't have to uh, skirt around any truth because Pastor Byron makes truth so easy to find. That I'm not worried about like you being offended because 
if you were offended, you wouldn't be here because Pastor Byron does all the work of offending you already. And may he not be the only person that steps into truth. May we all live lives that are reflected of that same truth in the world that we live in, in the day of times that we are in. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and then verse 14. I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to read it together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but we live according to the Spirit. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now we're going to go back to the top and we're all going to read it together. There's something about declaring truth out loud over your life. Verse 1 through 4 and verse 14. 1, 2, 3. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives us life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains the same. And I pray that we would be led by the Spirit of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I will be led by the Spirit. Come on, aren't you grateful that we have someone that can lead us and guide us? The Spirit of God. Few few years back, we decided to take all the kids and all the grandkids and all the cousins to uh, Disney World, and in Florida during the summer, which is kind of like here right now. It's so hot here. You know, your glasses fog up. You know, because it's so hot here, so humid. My contact lenses fogged up today. That's how hot it is here in Beaumont. I was like, man. So we decided to take. Um, a, a, a trip. I don't call it vacation because my mother-in-law was there. It's not a, it's not a vacation if your mother-in-law is there. That's just a trip, okay? Just a joke. So we piled everybody into the car. We went to Disney World, and, you know, there's like 10, 10 of us, and we're stressing out. It's a, big, it's a big investment, big day. And a buddy of mine saw that we were going to go to Disney World as a family, and he said, hey, I'm starting a new business, and I want to hook you up. I said, well, what's the business? And he says, it's called Sunshine Tours. And I said, well, what do you do? And he said, we help rich people manage the time they spend on their vacation. And I said, well, number one, it's not a vacation, it's a trip. And number two, I'm a peasant. <laughs> so I, don't, I can't afford your services. And he says, no, no, I'm going to give it to you for free. All you have to do is give a generous tip to the liaison at the end. And I said, tell me more about this business. And he said, well, investors and wealth managers and people of money, athletes and, and rock stars and, and, and movie stars. He goes, what they do is they contract us to take all of the guesswork out of their time at the movie, at the, at the movie theater, at the theme park. So you no longer, because he said the average person spends six to seven hours arguing over what they're going to do next, deciding what they're going to do next, or waiting in line. And he says, we take all of the worry and all of this discussion out of it. I said, okay, sign me up. So sure enough, we took the ferry across the water. We had already like been in seven arguments just in the car. <laughs> On the way to Disney World, I was already filing for divorce. You know, I was like ready to end the whole thing, ready to be over. And sure enough, on the other side of the ferry is this lady in a yellow polo. It says Sunshine Tours, and her name is Sarah. She says, hey, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And she said, give me all your tickets. 
I'm like, okay, gave her all the tickets. She puts them into her little app. She goes, all right, are you guys ready? We're ready. And she takes all of the decision-making power away from my father-in-law. But he's a control freak. He sells cars. He's always in control. He has you right where he wants you at all times. It's your idea, but it was his idea to begin with. You know, I don't know if you ever met somebody like that. But she starts to say, okay, everybody, when the door's open, everyone's going to go to the left, but we're going to go to the right. She said, all the families are going to go this way, but we're going to go this way. I'm like, okay, sounds good. We follow her, and sure enough, everyone goes to the left. She knew exactly, and we go to the right. No line. Ride one, no line. Ooh, nice. Ride two, no line. Ride three, no line. She goes, she goes, after ride three, she goes, does everyone need to go to the bathroom? And everyone's like, yes. She goes, I know this because I do this for a living. Everyone always has to go to the bathroom. And she goes, the bathroom is right here. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a theme park. You've got to go looking for the bathroom, you know. Not with this lady. She knew when you needed to go and where you were going to go to the bathroom. How does she know when all, we all needed to go at the same time? So right there's the bathroom. After ride three, the bathroom was right there. She goes, okay, ride four, no line. Ride five, no line. She goes, you guys are all hungry right now? We're like, yes, we are. How'd you know? She goes, and sits, she sits us in the corner of the restaurant. She goes, I'll be right back. She goes, if we all go in the line, it takes too long. But I'm going to take all your orders here, and then I'm going to take them through the app all the way to the side entrance, and then I'm going to bring you all your food. Ten minutes. Food was there. Like, how'd she do that? She knew. When we needed to go to the bathroom, when we needed to eat. Ride six, ride seven, ride eight, no line. Done by 2 p.m. All the rides. And I would walk by other families who were literally experiencing the wrath of God together. <laughs> and I, was, I hadn't even broken a sweat. My wife and I were actually holding hands. I was watching meltdowns happen in strollers, and I was like making fun of those peasants who didn't have a sunshine tour liaison. It was an awesome, awesome experience. I wouldn't go to a theme park ever again without it because we had a guide. That's what the Holy Spirit is in your life. The whole, while, while everyone else who doesn't have the Holy Spirit is crumbling, while everyone else who doesn't have the Holy Spirit doesn't know what to do next, when confusion reigns in the world, those who are led by the Spirit have a guide so that every decision you go to make, you have an understanding. The world might go this way, but I'm going this way. The Spirit might be telling me to go this way, even though everyone else is going this way. Why? Because we have a guide. We're called to be led by the Spirit. Now, here's the truth. Everyone is led by something. If you're taking notes today, everyone is led by something. You know this. You have, if you have children, you know this. If, if, if you were younger at one time, you were influenced at one point. It, it, maybe you've matured to not be so peer pressured into a lot of things. But even to this day, if you're not careful and you're not led by the Spirit, you will find yourself led by something. See, some are led by sin. We look at the world around us, and it's obvious that they're not led by the Spirit. They're led by sin. They've let their fleshly desires overtake their spiritual desires, and they're led by sin. Now, many are led by others. They just follow in line with whatever everyone else does. And there are very few that are led by the Spirit. But I think here in Beaumont, Texas, at the sound of my voice and those watching online, I think I found a remnant of God's people who refuse to be led by sin, who refuse to be led by others, but are surrendered and submitted to the leadership of the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit. Verse 14 said, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I think I'm in a place where there's children of God here. I think I'm in a place where people understand that they are led by the Spirit. Well, now that we know that everyone is led by something and that the people of God who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, we need to ask ourselves this question. And you guys always ask great questions. You ask such great questions that I already went and put, it, put them on the screen. Where does the Holy Spirit lead us? Where does the Spirit lead us? Great question. It's a good question to ask. If we're going to be Spirit-led, if we said we're going to be people led by the Spirit, not by our flesh, well, where is He taking us? I want to know. Where is this guide going to take us? Well, number one, he's going to take us to Christ. The Spirit leads us to Christ. 
If anything that leads you doesn't take you to Christ, you're following the wrong thing. You're following false doctrine, false religion, a false idol, because if it doesn't take you to Christ, then it is not actually leading you by the Spirit of God. That's why it says in Romans 8, 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son, which is Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The theological term for that is called atonement, if you're taking notes, atonement. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is a Spirit at work that draws all men to Christ. Tarot cards can't draw you to Christ. Horoscopes can't draw you to Christ. Gemstones can't draw you to Christ. That Facebook quiz grandma who's watching online can't draw you to Christ. Come on, somebody. Y'all be taking them Facebook quiz thinking that it's the spirit leading you. My, my celebrity lookalike is. It's like that. The spirit of God will always draw you to the son of God. It will always draw you to Christ. As a matter of fact, we couldn't do it on our own, so we needed a helper that would lead us and guide us to Christ. If you're a believer, you know this. You came to a point in your life where you, could, you got to the end of your rope, and you said, I need Jesus, and the Spirit led you to Christ. And now your eternal destiny has now been secured through the blood that was shed on the cross. A.W. Tozer said this way, he said, I don't want the world to define God for me. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal God to me. Come on, I'm not looking for your opinionated God. I'm looking for the real God of the Bible, the real God that comes to show me through to, to Christ who Christ is. And the more the Spirit leads you, the more you'll love Christ. The Spirit will never lead you to love Jesus less. Oh, the Spirit told me I just shouldn't be so in love with Jesus. That ain't the spirit. <laughs> That's probably the Chinese food that you ordered too late. I don't know what's leading you, but it's definitely not the spirit, you know? The spirit will also lead us to peace. Number two, the spirit leads us to peace. The spirit will never lead you to anxiety. The spirit will never lead you to confusion. The spirit will never lead you to depression. The spirit will never lead you to uh, misunderstanding or fogginess. The spirit will always lead you to peace. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself is the prince of peace. And then before he left earth, he said, peace, I leave you. So he actually gave us the same peace that he has. So if you're in an anxious situation or a place where you don't have peace right now, seek the spirit because the spirit is not going to lead you to more anxiety or more uh, anxiousness. He will lead you to peace. It says in Romans 8, 5, that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now look at this. Mind, the, mind is governed by the, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and where's your Spirit leading you? It's going to be leading you to peace. I know that maybe you're having a rough time at your job. I know that maybe there's some tension in your family. I know maybe it can be tough at times, but the Spirit is going to lead you to peace. The Spirit's going to lead you to peace. Everyone is stressed out. The world is stressed out, but you have peace that the world does not have. You have something that the world does not have. That's the peace of God. Not only if you're saved today, if you're a believer in the room, you have peace with God which means that your spirit has been saved and secure, but you also have the peace of God. There's a difference. Those that are believers have the peace with God, meaning I've been made right through Christ Jesus on the cross, but now I also have peace of God, which means I can distribute that which I have received. So I can take the peace that I have of God, because I have peace with God, I now have the peace of God, and I can actually become a distributor of that which I have received. So when you walk into the room, the Bible talks about the gospel that's fitted with the shoes of peace. So that wherever I walk, I can bring peace with me. So not only do I smoke it, I can start to sell it. Does that make sense? <laughs> not only do I consume it, but I can distribute it. I become a seller, not just a buyer. Come on, somebody. Some of you got a testimony. You can really relate to that analogy. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know what that means. 
See, I smoke what I sell, man. I am, a, I am a recipient of God's peace, but I am also a distributor of that same peace that passes all understanding. So I don't know what chaotic season that you are in in your life right now, but when you are led by the Spirit, you are led to peace. Amen? Oswald Chambers said this, holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. I think they have it, yeah, they, they have it on the screen. Holiness, not happiness, is the chief end of man. So what's the next thing that the Spirit will lead us to? Holiness. As a matter of fact, Romans 8, 12 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. What's our obligation? Our obligation, but it's not to the flesh. It's to live according to it. For if, we, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. See, you are a triune being. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. I don't have too much time to get into it, but when you were saved, your spirit was saved. Your spirit was saved. But your flesh took some time to catch up. That's why you're saved, but you still cuss a little. You know? Because your flesh is catching up to what your spirit has experienced. And what you have to do is you have to tell your flesh, your body, you say, you can't drive, you can ride, but you can't drive. My spirit's now driving. You can't. My flesh wants me to do this and that and this and that. But my spirit knows that that's not holiness or sanctification. The spirit leads us to holiness. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church. I grew up in church. Now, when I grew up in church, I'm saying like real church. Like I grew up, like, I was in church nine months before I was born. That's, my mom, from the hospital to church, never went home. I got dedicated straight from the hospital. They had the baby dedication. Y'all do baby dedications here? Okay. I had my baby dedication when I was four days old. My mom ain't playing no games. See, I ain't even letting you in these streets without being dedicated. I never went to my crib. I got dedicated before I slept in my own crib. I grew up in church. I grew up in, as I grew up, I, they didn't have these little plastic, cheap, uncomfortable chairs at my church. They had pews. Y'all know about pews? I'm going to tell Byron, y'all got to get some new chairs up in this mug. I can't sit through four services on this rock, okay? I'm just, that's just a joke. Relax. Me and Byron are good friends, okay? No, don't get offended, okay? I grew up in church where there was pews, and you, I would sleep under the pews. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, I grew up, I grew up in church. I don't have a holiness. You, you couldn't wear jeans. Where I grew up, you wore jeans, you were in trouble. If your jeans had holes, (laughs) get behind me, Satan. If you wore a hat, there were two guys with hats on the stage. I still could get PTSD from when I was growing up to take his hat off right now. Even the the right-hand man for Pastor Byron, I got a hat on right now. The devil is a liar. You know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. I'm just joking with you. I grew, up in, I grew up where, uh, you know, it, the pastor didn't even come out until the third song. He was like, he was too good for the songs. I don't know if y'all grew up like this, but he had his own little room. I don't know what it was. I don't know what was going on. He was holy. He was so holy, his feet couldn't even touch the church floor. <laughs> he'd come out, man, he'd sit on a throne. I don't, know if y'all, I, I don't know if y'all grew up like I grew up. He'd sit on a throne. He'd judging everybody in their lack of worship. My pastor even had a phone to the sound booth to control the sound from his chair. He'd turn it down, turn it up. And the stage looked like Jumanji. It had so many fake plants. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was Jumanji. It was Jumanji. And there's a big table. That, do this in remembrance of me. And then there's a big whole sacred desk. I mean, if you preach from a pub table, I grew up like pre-nightclub church. Okay, there was no church. This is a nightclub. I mean, this is, I grew up where this was not allowed, right? My mom saw me preaching from this. She'd be like, that's not holy, you know? Now we got a vape team that's just like in the back, just like. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> They're like, why does the church smell like cherry? <laughs> they get an email every week. You go, what flavor you're going to bring? You're like, <laughs> it's in the lights. But there are things in your life that you can't go back to. The Spirit will lead you to things. I'm not talking about performance-based things like the clothes that you wear. I'm talking about the posture of your hearts. 
I'm talking about uh, sanctification. You are saved, your spirit is saved, but you are also being sanctified. So I can't go back to the places that I used to go back to because the spirit is leading me and it's called conviction. So you'll go back to the same activity after you're saved and you'll say, that don't feel the same. It don't satisfy the same. Why? Because my, the spirit is now maturing me into a conviction. I don't care what, whether you wear a hat or not in church. I don't care whether or not you wear jeans or not. But what I do care is that the spirit matures you into a better understanding of holiness. The spirit will lead you to holiness. Number four, the spirit leads us to understanding our new identity. You are a new person when you receive the Holy Spirit. You're a new person when you're led by the Spirit. You aren't the same that you were. And, and it's important that you understand that you get a new name, despite that many, fact, many times the fact is that our behavior doesn't change until, until later our name changed the moment our name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I love what it says here. Because we get a new identity, we get, we get adopted into the family of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. That's our new nature. We are now sons and daughters. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. This is great. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, meaning we receive from God. We are heirs of God. Now, check this out. This is really important for your theology as to how loved you are by God. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order, we also may share in his glory. The inheritance you will receive as a son and daughter of God is an equal measure to the same inheritance that Christ received. Now, I have three biological children and one adopted child. At the end of my life, I am not distributing a higher measure to my biological children and then leftovers to my adopted child. You want to know why? Because although she did not come from my, my wife's womb, she is now a co-heir with my other three children. What does that mean? I love that adopted child as much as I love my three biological children. She receives the same measure of inheritance at the end of, of my life. Do you know what's true about you? <laughs> God loves you as much as he loved Jesus. Oh, you forget that there is no height, no depth, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is no angel, no demon that can separate you from the love of God. So if you have forgotten what you receive as a son and daughter of Christ, let me tell you right now, of God, you are co-heirs with Christ. So when the lawyer comes to distribute the estate at the end of your life, the same inheritance that Christ received, you receive it as well. God loves you as much as he loved Jesus. That's, that's a lot of love. I hope that that changes your mind about how much God loves you. I hope that that increases your gratitude towards how much God loves you. Why? Because it will lead us into understanding our new identity. You are not a slave to sin. You are not a slave to God. You are a son of God. Adoption has been made. All right, I got to hurry. I could preach on that all day long. Number five, the Spirit leads us to strength. When you're weak, lean into the Spirit. When you're weak, lean into the Spirit of God. Verse, uh, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I don't know if you've ever been so frustrated that you forgot English. Oh, I got, you know, I got... Four kids, it's like, oh, wordless groan. Sometimes I want to go back to my B.C. days, my before Christ days. Cuss, you know. But Paul says you don't have to go backwards when you run out of English words. You can go forwards and you can have wordless groans, which is intercession in the spirit. So that when you're weak, you might run out of English prayers to pray. But you can step into a, a, a spirit-led prayer that is wordless groans. Meaning you can cry out to God and just say, God, I don't have any words. 
I don't have any words, but I need your, your spirit to be my strength. I need your spirit to be my guide. I'm out of English words, but I'm going to begin. I mean, I grew up Pentecostal. I don't know if you guys, you know, anybody grew up Pentecostal? Like we were one degree away from snakes in church. Like I thought maybe the preacher from West Virginia going to bring his snakes. <laughs> Pentecostal, like hardcore. But my mom would pray in tongues over everything. McDonald's. As if it was going to make a difference. It's like, you just supersized that fry. Like, uh, your, your tongues ain't going to make it nourishing to my body. No, he's not, you know. But there are some times in your life where you won't have words. And you'll need to be led by the Spirit through wordless groans. And maybe the Spirit would fill you with a, a, an unction or a prayer that would lead you into strength. He's working on bringing you into strength. Now, the next thing is this. Verse in number six, the Spirit leads us into our ultimate purpose. Listen, listen, you, you aren't called to just wait on the rapture. Redemption Church is not a waiting room for believers who are just waiting for Jesus to scoop us up. He is going to come back for his bride, but we're not waiting just on him to come back for his bride. We are agents of ultimate purpose that everywhere we step our foot, everywhere we go, the Spirit will lead us into that purpose. Like, we got to do something while we're here. We have to move. And we have to, to live. And we have to listen to the Spirit of God and what He's doing. It says this, Romans 8, 27. And, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I love this next verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called, what? According to You've been called according to his purpose. The Spirit has called you. The Spirit has called you. You have to be led by him. So now that we know where the Spirit leads us, put, put all six of those back. The Spirit leads us to Christ. The Spirit leads us to peace. The Spirit leads us to holiness. The Spirit leads us to a new understanding of our new identity. The Spirit leads us to strength, and the Spirit leads us uh, to our ultimate purpose. Paul is masterful in Romans chapter 8 at giving us an understanding of where the Spirit will lead us to. So now you don't have to worry if you feel like that might not be of God. Well, just check it up against this list. Does it bring me to Christ? Does it bring me peace? Does it bring me holiness? Does it lead me to an understanding of my new identity? Does it make me stronger? Because I'm weak, but the Spirit is strong. And does it lead me to my ultimate purpose? So now you have to understand, now you have to ask yourself, if now we know where it leads us to, how to be led by the Spirit? How, what does it mean to be Spirit-led if we're people of the Spirit? What does it mean? I'm so glad you asked good questions. I put them on the screen just for you. How to be led by the Spirit. Uh, here's the first thing. You've got to re release control. You can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both. So you can have control or you can have spiritual growth, but you can't have both. Some of you are like, God, I want you to use me to do the miraculous, but only on Tuesday at 3 p.m. God, I need you to help me reach my neighbor, but only when it comes up in conversation casually. No, you, you can't control the miracle-working God. He does things differently. Sometimes he'll take a boy's lunch and he'll feed 5,000 people. Could he have uh, miraculously filled their stomachs? Of course he could have, but he needed the obedience of his disciples to go bring him what they had in order for him to distribute that food to 5,000 people. Sometimes he spits on the dirt and he puts dirt on his eyes. Why are you doing that? You couldn't have just spoken a word? Of course he could have. He didn't even have to speak. He could just tell him. You can just watch it. Look at him and say, see. But he chose to do things differently. Why? Because we have to understand that it's not our control. When the spirit starts moving in the church, we gotta we gotta relinquish control. We have to be we have to willing to surrender to the spirit. Now, what is surrender? I'm so you ask good questions. Yes, such good questions. Surrender is the daily choice to let God lead. I gotta when I wake up in the morning, God have your way today. Have your way in my marriage. Have your way for my children's future. Have your way at my church. Have your way when I travel on an airplane. God, put me in a position where I'm not in control and where the Spirit is leading me. Where the Spirit is leading me. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to a church in Galatia in 5.16. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. In a world where we are affirming people doing whatever they want, we serve a God who leads us into what he wants, which is always greater than what we want. You have to release control. You have to release control. The second thing you have to do is you have to watch and pray. People that are led by the Spirit, they pray with their eyes open. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing. Meaning every chance I get to, to look someone in the eye, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually watching. I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit. I'm yielding my, 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 my moments to the Lord. I'm yielding the environments I step into. And I'm saying, God, have your way today. I'm not going to, to just kind of bulldoze through and, and, and just kind of walk through life without looking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay attention to what people are saying. I'm going to listen and their, hear their, the tone. I'm going to hear their countenance. I'm going to look at them in the eye and say, is something wrong? My grandfather spent 55 years on the continent of Africa as a missionary. And he was so good at discerning spirits. He was so good at at really understanding what needed to take place. So one time we were getting a lease in a new apartment, and he was there with me in the leasing office. And this lady that was the leasing agent, he said, what's your name? She said, my name is Sarah. And he says, Sarah. He said, that's a biblical name. He said, that name means promise. Sarah was barren, but then she had a child in the Old Testament after she prayed. And he said, what are you praying for that seems barren right now? And this lady just starts to weep right there in the leasing office. Why? Because my grandfather was yielding to the leading of the Spirit. He was watching and praying. And this lady just cried and cried and cried. She said, how did you know that I was going through so much? Why? Because my grandfather lives a life led by the Spirit. You can't outwake him up. Like he, I thought, okay, I'll get up at 4 a.m. and I'll start my devotions. He was up at 3. <laughs> Coffee, Bible, Old Testament memorized by 3, by 4 a.m. Because he was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. There's a God-given assignment in every environment. Everywhere you go, God is taking you there on purpose. It's not an accident that that's your server today after church. It's not an accident that that's your boss. It's not an accident that they put you next to that person at work. It's not an accident that you met that person. There is a God-given assignment to every environment. And the more mature the believer, the more they see things through spiritual eyes. The more they keep their head up and they look for opportunity. Not to be weird, okay? Don't be bringing your King James Bible, bopping people over the head. Don't get weird with it. Be led by the Spirit. The Spirit won't lead you to do things that are stupid, but the Spirit will lead you to do things that are sacred and special and unique. And we're a church that's led by the Spirit. Amen? All right, the next thing is you got to take a risk. You can't be led by the Spirit and not take a risk. I mean, you gotta, you got to step out. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I'm a faith person. You better start taking a risk. You better step out. You better start believing that God's going to come through for you in the unknown and uncertainty of the steps that he's calling. Some of y'all play it too safe. Take it risk. As a matter of fact, James, the brother of Jesus, in, two, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 17, says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is it's dead. You shouldn't live a dead faith. Now, I know here at Redemption, there's nobody here. Everyone's risk taker here. Everyone's being led by the Spirit. So I'm preaching to the choir. It's like shooting a basketball in front of a bunch of LeBron James. But I'm just trying trying my best to to get you to understand that if you're going to do great things for God, great risk is required. You're like, well, what is the risk that God's calling me to take? Maybe it's, it's time for the season of your last church hurt to be over and go to next steps next Sunday. Like maybe like, that's not much of a risk like in accordance to like persecuted church and like what you're going to do. But maybe like that's the risk you need to take because you're gifted, you're anointed, you got passions and desires, and you haven't taken a risk for God in a long time. Maybe the first step is like, I gotta, just got to go to next steps. Doesn't seem like much of a risk, but I mean, I'm not asking you to go to, to, go to, to like an underground church movement and smuggle Bibles in your suitcase. Just take, just take a small risk, which is to join next steps. Join next steps. See, the Spirit is too powerful, and our salvation is too significant to play it safe. 
The spirit is too powerful and our salvation is too significant to play it safe. Share your story. Be vulnerable. Share your testimony. I heard this quote one time. It, was, it, was, it impacted me greatly. Why would we need a comforter if, we are called, if what we are called to do is comfortable? Why would we need a comforter if what we are called to do is comfortable? So take a risk. I, I didn't know where, my, where our next meal, I knew where our next meal was coming from. It was coming from Panera Bread. But I didn't know how our next bills, or all of our other bills were going to get paid. We were going to eat bread, but I didn't know how we were going to make any more bread. Right? You got to take a risk. What risks are in front of you? The next thing is you got to rely on God's power. You got to rely on God's power. Risk seem dumb if you aren't relying on God's power because you're doing it within your own effort. But when you rely on God's power, you're not doing it anymore in your own strength, but you're doing it in the strength that comes from God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and they're playing me off the stage, so we got to hurry here. We got I forgot there was one more service. I'm being led by the Spirit. What can I say? But, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. God has power for your life. Oh, you don't act like it. Come on, God has power for your life. you got to rely on God's power. I can do my best, but God's power has got to come through. Because in and of myself, I am not enough. But with God's power, my little combined with his amazing abundance, miracles start to happen. Okay, last one. How, do I, how, do I, how am I led by the Spirit? you got to give God the glory. you got to give God the glory. Everything that God does in your life is not because of you. It's because he did it. We're, we're meant to give God. Your, your, your ministry and the kids' ministry, give God glory. Your parking lot, when you serve in the park, give God glory. Your, your, your small contribution to, to, to the world, at your job, your, your, your loving kindness to the people around you, it's just to give God glory. You aren't doing it for accolades or affirmation here on earth. You're doing it because God receives glory. God receives glory. And, and it says in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's amazing because we, we, and then the next verse says, let us not be conceited, provoking, or envying each other. We just got to give glory, glory to God. I love Romans 8, 11. It says, and the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. It's not your Spirit, it's God's glory. It's God's spirit. It's God's spirit. Have you ever seen the show Extreme Home Makeover? It's a great show. Like, that's when TV was good. Bring back the old school TV. When I could kick my feet up in my recliner and watch Ty Pennington. Hey, guys, Ty Pennington here. Welcome to Extreme Home Makeover. You guys seen the show before? Let me catch the kids up real quick. They, uh, they take a family whose house is in need of repair. And they send them to Disney World. And while they're at Disney World, they basically deconstruct their whole house and they rebuild it. Sometimes they're, they're like a key person in the community or maybe they need wheelchair access because of someone in their family in a wheelchair. Whatever it is, they make their house the dream home. They take it from whatever it was to be a dream home while their family is at Disney World, which is awesome. It's a cool show. They do it all within 28 minutes and 30 seconds for us. And all week long, you're, you're, you're watching this conversation between the host, who's Ty Pennington, and the family, who's at Disney World, and he FaceTimes the kids. Hey, Johnny, how are you doing? We're here at your house. It's going to be awesome. How's Disney World? It's awesome, Ty. Thanks so much. He goes, I heard you play guitar. I do play guitar. I heard you love Bon Jovi. I do love Bon Jovi. Well, we're making your room a rock star-themed room, and guess what? Bon Jovi's right here. And he moves the camera, and, like, Bon Jovi's in the kid's room. Like, all these dreams come true. He's like, Bon Jovi signs the electric guitar that they're using for decorating the kid's room, you know? He's like, it's your prayer room. And the kid's like, what? He's like, living on a prayer. You know, it's like living on a prayer room, Bon Jovi, you know? Oh, cool, awesome, thanks, you know? Next day, they FaceTime the daughter. Hey, Susie, how's it going? Oh, good, Ty, thanks so much for asking. It's awesome here at Disney World. He's like, I heard you like Frozen and Elsa. I love Frozen and Elsa. He goes, guess what? Your room is now an igloo, you know. 
We've imported ice from Antarctica. Let it go. They get to the end of the show, and it's awesome. They have this whole scene set up where everyone's dressed the same T-shirt. It's like they went on a, on a missions trip, you know, and they all wear the same shirt, all the volunteers that were there helping them, and they start to bring this bus in, and this is when the advertising shows up. I don't know if you've watched the show, but if you watch it closely, it's like Kenmore, they zoom in close, like, uh, you know, Home Depot, and they zoom in close, and then like Maytag, and they zoom in close. It's like all of the sponsors get their little placement, and they bring this bus in, but the bus is brought in in such a way where the bus blocks the family from being able to see the house. Have you guys seen the show? And they start to chant. Do you know what the chant is? Move that bus. It's like crescendoing. There's a crane camera, 50-foot crane, and drone shots, and the music is building. And they're like, move that bus. Move that bus. And you're getting excited because you're now going to see the big reveal of the house that has been redone all week. And all of a sudden, they go, and they cut to commercial. Show me the house. Show me the house. I don't care about Subway's $5 foot-long deal right now. Show me the house. 20 minutes of commercials later. Crane shot comes in. Everyone's wearing the same shirt. Move that bus. Big bus in between the family and the house. Move that bus. Move that bus. Move that bus. And the bus moves. All the shots line up. Do you know what the first shot is? After the bus moves, why do they show the family's face? I want to see the house. The show is called Extreme Home Makeover. I've seen the family all show long. Why do you cut to the face of the family at a show about the house? Because no matter what the trial, no matter what season, no matter what the storm, when they move that bus, you can see the house on their face. I don't need to see the house because I can see the house on their face. When Stephen is getting stoned and murdered and persecuted for for his belief, the Bible says in the book of Acts that his face shone with the glory of God. I don't know what season you're in. I don't know what has to move in your life. But whatever season you are in, my prayer for you is that the glory of God would shine on your face. I know your marriage is going through it right now, but may the Spirit lead you to glorify God. I know that things are tight right now financially, but may the Spirit lead you to glorify God. May every room you walk in reflect the glory of God on your face.